Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners, to your unusual Saturday episode. Because yesterday my house was under some serious threat for flooding, and I wanted to ensure I was still around, or if anything bad was to take place, I'd be ready for it. Hence the one-day delay. That being said, I'm all good. And I really appreciate the messages sent through. Lots of love back to you brilliant peeps. And now, it's time for continuation of English Poetry by Alfred No Yes, where I'll be here onwards be calling Alfred No Yes because that's how honestly I read his last name. It's spelt N-O-Y-E-S, probably pronounced Noyce, but either way it sounds hilarious. Noyce or No Yes? <laughs> Before we begin, a big thank you to my latest Patreon supporter, Sunshine Days. You are awesome. Nothing like having another awesome listener join up the ranks to further this podcast along. Thank you so much. Now, I'll be finishing the first poem today that I shared on Wednesday and continuing to the next one for today's episode, finishing it next week. I hope you're enjoying these ones, mates, as much as I am narrating them. And let's just say, I've never heard the word Peterkin said so many times in a row. You'll see what I mean. <laughs> Mates, enjoy. Part 3. The Mystic Ruby The white moon dawned, the sunset died, and stars were trembling when we spied the rose-red temple of our dreams. Its lamp-lit gardens glimmering cool with many an onyx paven pool. Amid soft sounds of flowing streams, where starshine shimmered through the white, tall fountain shafts of crystal light in ever-changing rainbow gleams. Priests in flowing yellow robes glided under rosy globes. Through the green pomegranate boughs, moonbeams poured their coloured rain, roofs of sea-green porcelain. Jutted o'er the rose-red house, bells were hung beneath its eaves, Every wind that stirred the leaves tinkled as tide water does. The temple had a low, broad base of black, bright marble all its face, was marble bright in rosy bloom. And where two sea-green pillars rose, deep in the flower-soft eve shadows, we saw through richly sparkling gloom, wrought in marvellous years of old, with bulls and peacocks bossed in gold, the doors of powdered lacquer loom. Quietly then the tall thin man, holding his turquoise-tinted fan, alighted from the palaquin. We followed, never painter dreamed, or how the dark rich temple gleamed, with gules of jeweled gloom within, and as we wandered near the door, a priest came o'er the polished floor, in sandals of soft serpent skin. His mitre shimmered bright and blue, with pigeon's breast plumes, when he knew our quest he stoked his broad white chin, and looked at us with slanting eyes, and smiled then through his deep disguise. We knew him. It was creeping sin. But cunningly he bowed his head, down on his gilded breast, and said, Come. And he led us through the dusk of passages whose painted walls gleamed with dark old festivals, Till where the gloom grew sweet with musk and incense through a door of amber, we came into a high arched chamber. There on a throne of jasper sat a monstrous idol, black and fat. Thick rose oil dropped upon its head, drop by drop, heavy and sweet, trickled down to its ebon feet. Whereon the blood of goats was shed and smeared around its perfumed knees, 
in savage midnight mysteries. It wore about its bulging waist a belt of dark green bronze enchased. With big, soft, cloudy pearls, its wrists were clasped about with money gems gathered from dead kings, diadems. Its throat was ringed with amethyst, and in its awful hand it held a softly smouldering emerald. Silkily murmured Creeping Sin, This is the stone you wish to win. White Snake, replied the tall, thin man, Show us the ruby stone, or I will slay thee with my hands. The sly, long eyelid of the priest began to slant aside, and then once more he led us through the fragrant door. And now along the passage walls were painted hideous animals, with hooded eyes and cloven stings. In the incense that like shadowy hair streamed over them, they seemed to stare. Their craggy claws and crooked wings, at last we saw a strange moonwraiths curl around a deep soft porch of pearl. Oh, what enchanter wove in dreams that chapel wild with shadowy gleams and prismy colours of the moon, shrined like a rainbow in a mist of flowers that fretted amethyst. Archers rose to a mystic tune, and never mortal art inlay those cloudy floors of sea-soft jade. There, in the midst, an idol rose, white as the silent starlit snows, on lonely Himalayan heights, over its head the spikenard spilled, down to its feet with mirror distilled. In distant, odorous Indian nights, it held before its ivory face a flaming yellow chrysoprase. Oh, silkily murmured creeping sin, this is the stone you wished to win. But in his ear, the tall, thin man whispered with slow, strange lips. We knew not what, but creeping sin went blue. With fear again his eyes began to slant aside. Then through the porch he passed and lit a tall brown torch. Down a corridor dark as death, with beating hearts and bated breath, we hurried far away. We heard a dreadful hissing, fierce as fire, when rain begins to quench a pyre, and where the smoky torchlight flared, strange vermin beat their bat-like wings, and the wet walls dropped with slimy things. And darker, darker wound the way, beyond all gleams of night and day, and still that hideous hissing grew, louder and louder on our ears, and tortured us with eyeless fears. Then suddenly the gloom turned blue, and in the wall a rough rock cave gaped like a phosphorescent grave. And from the purple mist within there came a wild, tumultuous din of snakes that reared their heads and hissed as if a witch's cauldron boiled. All round the door great serpents coiled, with eyes of glowing amethyst whose fierce blue flames began to slide like shooting stars from side to side. Ah, with a sickly gasping grin and quivering eyelids, creeping sin stole to the cave, but suddenly, as though its glimmering mouth he passed, the serpents flashed and gripped him fast. He wriggled and gave one awful cry, then all at once the cave was cleared. The snakes with their victim had disappeared. And fearlessly the tall thin man opened his turquoise-tinted fan and entered, and the mists grew bright, and we saw that the cave was diamond hall, lit with lamps for a festival. A myriad globes of coloured light went gliding deep in its massy sides, like the shimmering moons in the glassy tides, 
where a sea king's palace enchants the night. Gliding and flowing a glory and wonder, through each other and over and under, the loosened orbs of green and gold, bright with sorrow or soft with sleep, in music through the glimmering deep, over their secret axles rolled, and circled by the murmuring spheres, we saw, in a fame of frozen tears, a mirror that made the blood run cold. For, when it came to it, we found it imaged everything around, except the face that gazed in it, and where the mirror face should be, a heart-shaped ruby, fierily, smouldered and round the frame was writ, Mystery time and tide shall pass, I am the wisdom-looking glass, this is the ruby none can touch, many have loved it overmuch, its fathomless fires flutter and sigh, being as images of the flame, that shall make earth and heaven the same. When the fire of the end reddens the sky, and the world consumes like a burning pall, till where this is nothing, there is all. So we looked up at the tall, thin man, and we saw that his face grew sad and wan. Tears were glistening in his eyes, at last with a breaking sob he bent, his head upon his breast and went. Swiftly away, with dreadful cries, we rushed to the softly glimmering door and stared at the hideous corridor, but his robe was gone, as a dream that flies, back to the glass in terror we came, and stared at the writing round the frame. We could not understand one word, and suddenly we thought we heard the hissing of the snakes again, how could we front them all alone? Oh, madly we clutched at the mirrored stone, and wished we were back on the flowery plain, and swifter than thought, and swift as fear, the whole world flashed, and behold, we were there. Yes, there was the port of old Japan, with its twisted patterns, white and wan, shining like a mottled fan, spread by the blue sea, faint and far, and far away we heard once more, a sound of singing on the shore, where the boys in blue kimonos bore, roses in a golden jar. And we heard, with the cherry orchards blow, the serpent charmers fluting low, and the songs of the maidens of Miyako. And at our feet unbroken lay the glass that had whirled us thither away, and in the grass among the flowers we sat and wished all sorts of things. Oh, we were wealthier than kings. We ruled the world for several hours, and then it seemed we knew not why. All the daisies began to die. We wished them alive again, but soon the trees all fled up towards the moon, like peacocks through the sunlit air, and the butterflies flapped into silverfish, and each wish spoiled another wish, till we threw the glass down in despair, for getting whatever you want to get is like drinking tea from a fishing net. At least we thought we'd wish once more that all should be as it was before, and then we'd shatter the glass if we could. But just as the world grew right again, we heard a wanderer out of the plain, singing what none of us understood. Yet we thought that the world grew thrice more sweet, and the meadows were blossoming under his feet. And we felt a grand and beautiful fear, for we knew that a marvellous thought drew near. So we kept the glass for a little while, and the skies grew deeper and twice as bright, and the seas grew soft as a flower of light, and the meadows rippled from style to style and memories danced in a musical throng through the blossoms that scented the wonderful song. And this is how the song went. 
We sailed across the silver seas and saw the sea blue bowers. We saw the purple cherry trees and all the foreign flowers. We travelled in a palaquin beyond the caravan, and yet our hearts had never seen the flower of old Japan. The flower above all other flowers, the flower that never dies, before whose throne the scented hours offer their sacrifice. The flower that here on earth below reveals the heavenly plain, but only little children know the flower of old Japan. There, in the dim blue flowery plain, we wish with the magic glass again to go to the flower of song's desire, and over us the whole of the soft blue sky flashed like fire as the world went by. And far beneath us the sea, like fire, flashed in one swift blue brilliant stream, and the journey was done like a change in a dream. Part 4. The End of the Quest Like the drawn upon a dream, slowly through the scented gloom, crept once more the ruddy gleam o'er the friendly nursery room. There before our waking eyes, large and ghostly white and dim, dreamed the flower that never dies, opening wide its rosy rim, spreading like a ghostly fan, petals white as porcelain, there the flowers of old Japan told us we were home again. For a soft and curious light suddenly was o'er its shed, and we saw it was a white English daisy ringed with red. Slowly, as wavering mist, wand the wonder out of sight, to a sigh of amethyst, to a wraith of scented light. Flower and magic glass had gone, near the clutching fire we sat, dreaming, dreaming all alone, each upon a fairy mat. While the firelight, red and clear, fluttered in the black wet pane, it was very good to hear howling winds and trotting rain. For we found at last we knew more than all our fancy planned. All the fairy tales were true, and home, the heart of fairyland. And this is the epilogue to this piece. Carol, every violet has heaven for a looking glass. Every little valley lies under many clouded skies. Every little cottage stands, girt about with boundless lands. Every little glimmering pond claims the mighty shores beyond. Shores no seaman ever hailed, seas no ships has ever sailed. All the shores, when day is done, fade into the setting sun. So the stories try to teach more than can be told in speech. Beauty is a fading flower. Truth is but a wizard's tower where a solemn death bell tolls and a forest round it rolls. We have come by curious ways to the light that holds the days. We have sought in haunts of fear for that all-enfolding sphere, and lo, it was not far, but near. We have found, O oh foolish fond, the shore that has no shore beyond. Deep in every heart it lies, with its untranscended skies, for what heaven should bend above, hearts that own the heavens of love. Carol, Carol, we have come back to heaven, back to home. And this concludes The Flower of Old Japan. Forest of Wild Thyme to Helen, Rosie and Beatrix. This is the Apologia. Critics, you've been so kind, I would not have you think me blind to all the wisdom that you preach. Yet, before I strictly run, in straighter lines of chiseled speech, give me one more hour, just one hour, to hunt the fairy gleam that flutters through this childish dream. It mocks me as it flies, I know. All too soon the gleam will go. 
Yet I love it and shall love. My dream that brooks no narrow bars, then bind the darkening heavens above. My jack o' lanthorn of the stars, then I will follow it no more. I'll light the lamp, I'll close the door. And this is the prelude. Hush, if you remember how we sailed to old Japan, Peterkin was with us then, our little brother Peterkin. Now we've lost him, so they say. I think the tall, thin man must have come and touched him with his curious, twinkling fan, and taken him away again, our merry little Peterkin. He'll be frightened all alone. We'll find him if we can. Come and look for Peterkin, poor little Peterkin. No one would believe us if we told them what we know, or they wouldn't grieve for Peterkin, merry little Peterkin, if they'd only watched us roaming through the streets of Miyako, and travelling in a palaquin where parents never go, and seeing the golden gardens where we wandered once with Peterkin, and smelt the purple orchards where the cherry blossoms blow, they wouldn't mourn for Peterkin, merry little Peterkin. Put away your muskets, lay aside the drum, hang it by the wooden sword, we made for little Peterkin. He was once our trumpeteer, now his bugle's dumb. Pile your arms beneath it, for the owlet light is come. We'll wander through the roses where we marched of old with Peterkin. We'll search the summer sunset with the Himbler beehives hum, and if we meet a fairy there, we'll ask of news of Peterkin. He was once our cabin boy, and cooked the sweets for tea. And oh, we've sailed around the world with laughing little Peterkin. From nursery floor to pantry door, we've roamed the mighty sea and come to port below the stairs in distant Caribbee. But wheresoe'er we sailed, we took our little lover, Peterkin, because his wide grey eyes believed much more than ours could see, and so we liked our Peterkin, our trusty little Peterkin. Peterkin, Peterkin, I think if you came back, the captain of our host today should be the bugler, Peterkin, and he should lead us smugglers up that steep and narrow track, a band of noble brigands, bearing each a mighty pack. Cram with lace and jewels to the secret cave of Peterkin, and he should wear the biggest boots and make his pistol crack. The Spanish cloak, the velvet mask, would give them all to Peterkin. Come, my brother pirates, I am tired of play. Come and look for Peterkin, little brother Peterkin, our merry little comrade that the fairies took away. For people think we've lost him, and when we come to say, our good night prays to mother if we pray for little Peterkin. Her eyes are ever sorrowful, she turns her head away. Come and look for Peterkin, merry little Peterkin. God bless little Peterkin, wherever he may be. Come and look for Peterkin, lonely little Peterkin. I wonder if they've taken him again across the sea, from the town of Wanda Wanda and the Amphalula tree, to the land of many marvels, where we roamed of old with Peterkin, the land of blue pagodas and the flowery fields of tea. Come and look for Peterkin, poor little Peterkin. Part 1. The Splendid Secret Now father stood engaged in talk, with mother on that narrow walk, between the laurels where we play, at people lurking for their prey, and the grey old wall of roses, with a Persian kitten dozes, and the sunlight sleeps upon crannies of crumbling stone. So hot it is you scarce can bear your naked hand upon it there, though they're luxurating in heat with a slow and gorgeous feet. White-winged current moths display their spots of black and gold all day. 
Well, since we greatly wish to know whether we too might some day go where little Peterkin had gone without one word and all alone, we crept up through the laurels there, hoping that we might overhear the splendid secret, darkly great, of Peterkin's mysterious fate, and on what high adventure bound he left our pleasant garden ground, whether for old Japan once more he voyaged from the dim blue shore, or whether he set out to run by candlelight to Babylon. We just missed something father said about a young prince that was dead, a little warrior that had fought and failed, how hopes were brought to naught, he said, and mortals made to bow, before the juggernaut of death, and all the world was darker now, for time's grey lips and icy breath had blown out all the enchanted lights that burned in love's Arabian nights, and now he could not understand mother's mystic fairy land. Land of the dead, poor fairy tale, he murmured, and her face grew pale, and then with great self-shining eyes she lent to him, she looked so wise, and with her cheek against his cheek we heard her, ah, oh, so softly speak. Husband, there was a happy day, long ago, in lover's young May, when a wild flower in your hand you echoed that dead poet's cry, little flower, but if I could understand. And you saw it had roots in the depths of the sky, and there in that smallest bud lay furled, the secret and meaning of all the world. He shook his head, and then he tried to kiss her, but she only cried, and turned her face away and said, You've come between me and my dead. His soul is near me, night and day, but you would drive it far away, and you shall never kiss me now, until you lift that brave old brow. O oh, faith I know so well, or else refute the tale, Skylark tells, tarnish the glory of that may, explain the smallest flower away. And still he said, Poor fairy tales, how terribly their starlet pales, before the solemn son of truth that rises o'er the grave of youth. Is heaven a fairy tale? She said, and once again he shook his head, and yet we near could understand why heaven should not be fairyland. A part of heaven at least, and why? The thought of it made mother cry, and why they went away so sad, and father still quite unforgiven, for what could children be but glad to find a fairyland in heaven? And as we talked it o'er we found, our brains were really spinning round. But Dick, our eldest, late returned from school, by all the law he'd learned, declared that we should seek the lost smallest flower at any cost. For since when its leaves lay furled, the secret of the whole wide world, he thought that we might learn therein the whereabouts of Peterkin. And if we found the flower, we knew father would be forgiven too. And mother's kisses atone for all, the quarrel by the rose-hung wall. We knew not how, we knew not why, but Dick it was who bade us try. Dick made it all seem plain and clear, and Dick it is who helps us here to tell this tale of fairyland in words we scarce can understand. For ere another golden hour had passed, our anxious parents found, we'd left the scented garden ground to seek the smallest flower. Part 2. The First Discovery Oh, grown-ups cannot understand, and grown-ups never will, 
how short the way to fairyland across the purple hill. They smile, their smile is very bland, their eyes are wise and chill, and yet at just a child's command, the world's an Eden still. Under the cloudy lilac tree, out at the garden gate, we stole a little band of three to tempt our fairy fate. There was no human eye to see, no voice to bid us wait. The gardener had gone home to tea. The hour was very late. I wonder if you've ever dreamed in summer's noonday sleep of what the thyme in heather seemed to ladybirds that creep. Like little crimson shimmering gems between the tiny twisted stems of fairy forests deep and what it looks like as they pass through jungles of the golden grass. If you could suddenly become a small as thing as they, a small child, a new Tom Thumb, a little gauze-winged fay, oh then, as though the mighty shades of wildfire woods and violet glades, you groped your forest way. How fraught each fragrant bough would be with darker hanging mystery. Oh, how the forest aisles would loom. What wondrous wings would beat through gloamings loaded with perfume, in many a rich retreat, while trees like purple senses bowed and swung beneath a swooning cloud and mysteriously sweet, where flowers that haunt no mortal clime burden the forest of wild thyme. We'd watch the bats and beetles flit through sunset-coloured air the night that we discovered it, and all the heavens were bare. We'd seen the colours melt and pass like silent ghosts across the grass to sleep our hearts knew where. And so we rose, and hand in hand, we sought the gates of fairyland. For Peterkin, oh Peterkin, the cry was in our ears, a fairy clamour clear and thin from lands beyond the years, a wistful note, a dying fall, as of fairy bugle called, some dreamful changeling hears, and pined within his mortal home, once more through fairyland to roam, we left behind pleasant row of cottage window panes. The village inn's red curtains glow, the lovers in the lanes. And stout of heart and strong of will, we climb the purple perfumed hill, and hum the sweet refrains of fairy tunes the tall thin man taught us of old in old Japan. So by the tall wide barred church gate, through which we all could pass, we came to where that curious plate, that foolish plate of brass, Said Pertikin was fast asleep, beneath a cold and ugly heap, of earth and stones and grass, it was a splendid place for play, that churchyard, on a summer's day. A splendid place for hide and seek, between the great old stones, where even grown-ups used to speak in awe-struck whispering tones. And here and there the grass ran wild, in jungles for the creeping child, and there were elfin zones, of twisted flowers and words in rhyme, and great sweet cushions of wild thyme. So in a wild thyme snuggery there, we stayed a while to rest. A bell was calling folk to prayer, one star was in the west. The cottage lights grew far away, the whole sky seemed to waver and sway above our fragrant nest, and from a distant dreamland moon, once more we heard that fairy tune. Why, mother once had sung at us, when ere we went to bed, she told the tale of Pyramus, how Thisbe found him dead, and mourned his eyes as green as leeks, his cherry nose, his cowslip cheeks. That tune would oft around us float, since on a golden noon we saw the play that Shakespeare wrote of lion, war, and moon. Ah, hark! 
the ancient fairy theme following darkness like a dream. The very song Will Shakespeare sang, the music that those Sherwood rang, and Arden and that forest glade were Hermie and Lysander strayed. And Puck cried out with impish glee, Lord, what fools these mortals be! Though the masquerade was mute, of quint and snout and snug and flute, and bottom was his donkey's head, decked with roses white and red. Though the fairies had forsaken, Sherwood now and faintly shaken, the forest scents from off their feet, Yet from some divine retreat came the music sweet and clear to hang upon the ruptured ear. With the free unfettered sway of blossoms in the moon of May, hark the luscious fluttering of flowers of words that kiss and cling and part again with sweet farewells and rhyme and chime like fairy bells. I know a bank where the wild vine blows, where ox lips and the nodding violet grows, quiet over canopied with Lushy's woodbine, with sweet musk roses, and with a galantine. Out of the undiscovered land, so sweetly rang the song, we dreamed we wandered hand in hand the fragrant isles along, where long ago had gone to dwell in some enchanted distant dell, the outlawed fairy throng, when out of Sherwood's wildest glen they sank forsaking mortal men. And as we dreamed, the shadowy ground seemed gradually to swell, and a strange forest rose around, but how, we could not tell. Purple against a rose-red sky, the big boughs brooded silently. Far off we heard a bell, and suddenly a great red light smoldered before our startled sight. Then came a cry, a fiercer flash, and down between the trees we saw great crimson figures crash, wild-eyed monstrosities. Great dragon shapes that breathed a flame. From roaring nostrils as they came, we sank upon our knees, and looming over us, ten yards high, like battleships they thundered by. And then, as down that mighty dell, we followed faint with fear. We understood the tolling bell that called the monsters near. For right in front we saw a house, woven of wild mysterious bells, bursting out everywhere. In crimson flames, and with a shout, the monsters rushed to put it out. And, in a flash, the truth was ours, and there we knew, we knew, the meaning of those trees like flowers, those boughs of rose and blue. And from the world we'd left above, a voice came crooning like a dove, to prove the dream was true, and this, we knew it by the rhyme, must be the forest of wild thyme. For out of the mystical rose-red dome, of heaven the voice came murmuring down, O ladybird, ladybird, fly away home, your house is on fire, and your children are gone. We knew, we knew it by the rhyme, though we seemed, after all, no tinier, yet the sweet wild thyme towered like a forest tall all around us. Oh, we knew not how, and yet we knew those monsters now. Our dreams divine recall have dwarfed us, as with magic words the dragons were but ladybirds. And all around us, as we gazed, half glad, half frightened, all amazed. The scented clouds of purple smoke in lurid gleams of crimson broke, and overhead the huge black trees obscured the sky's red mysteries, while here and there gigantic wings beat over us, and great scaly things fold over monstrous leathern fold, out of the smouldering copses rolled, and eyes like blood-red pits of flame from many a forest cavern came.
to glare across the blazing glade, till, with the sudden thought, dismayed, we wondered if we e'er should find the mortal home we left behind. Fear clutched us in a grisly grasp. We gave one wild and white-lipped gasp, then turned and ran with streaming hair, away, away, and anywhere. And hurry, scurry, heart and heel and hand, we tore along, and still our flying feet kept time and patted on for Peterkin. For Peterkin, oh Peterkin, it made a kind of song to prove the road was right, although it seemed so dark and wrong, as though the desperate woods were plunged and ploughed for little Peterkin, where many hidden jungle beasts made noises like a gong that rolled and roared and rumbled as we rushed along to Peterkin. Peterkin, Peterkin, if you could only hear and answer us one little word from little lonely Peterkin, to take and comfort father, he is sitting in his chair. In the library, he's listening for your footsteps on the stair, and your patter down the passage, he can only think of Peterkin. Come back, come back to father, for today he'd let us tear his newest book to make a paper boat for little Peterkin. And that's where we'll stop for now. Well, listeners, onwards and upwards to finding out where the heck Peterkin is. And I'll give you a hint. The next chapter is called The Hideous Hermit. And that just urges me on, really, to read more. <laughs> listeners, thank you so much for your time. If you want to support the show, visit my Patreon page, where you're free to donate as much as you like with every contribution flying straight back into production. Visit the webpage www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. Now I want to thank the amazing peeps that already donate to this podcast and help it move and shake. First up is my old knighty titan, my megastar Maya, the queen of cats. Thank you Maya for your constant support. I'm able to reach out to more authors than before and also support people that keep old time radio shows intact whilst also finding ways to give back to the community in this space. Thanks to you, I'm able to think outside the box and push the envelope regarding where I source my episodes, which is really, really fun. Thank you, mate, immensely. Your donation hurdles this podcast into space at every upload and after every month, thanking your awesome support. Next up is my luxuriously awesome white tea warlord, Leza Bowser. Mate, thank you, Dudio. I'm able to pay for my Adobe subscription in a couple of months. Thanks to you, seriously. Your contribution takes the stress away from utilizing powerful tools that would otherwise be on the back burner for nice to haves. Your support, man, means I can deliver more and far more easily. I'm so thankful and grateful for your support. Thank you again, Leza. And my second white tea warlord, the sorceress of unique facts and know-how, Paige Kramer. Mate, I'm constantly finding ways to ensure that your support is put to good use and covering off subscription costs just like Leza, but also covering off one-off lifetime costs for software such as Filmora X that helps me to edit video footage and episodes really quickly without having to rely on burly programs like Adobe Premiere, which can also be a nightmare. Thank you, Paige, for being amazing and supporting me in the way you do. Also, I received your email and I can't wait to sink my teeth into reading your response. Cheers, mate. And the Keen Warriors, my enforcers of El Grey awesomeness, my El Grey enforcers, I'm lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo, Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all for your support and supporting me in the way you do. Have a kick-butt weekend, stay brilliant, find things to do that make you happy, 
And if I can be part of that, so be it. <laughs> Genuinely, folks, have a wonderful weekend. And as a lot of my listeners have already told me, yes, I will do my best to stay dry and keep warm. <laughs> Thank all of you for caring. And as always, mates, till next we meet.